The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us again here on Winning Ponies. Hope you had a great week at the races, and we hope to bring you a good upcoming week. Was able to get a representative from Coolmore America. And, of course, uh, you know who the new resident there is, uh, just a few miles west of Keeneland, and that is none other than American Pharaoh. So we're going to be able to talk to uh, Scott Calder. Uh, he's a native of New Zealand that now uh, handles the sales and marketing of Coolmore, and I'm sure he's been a very busy man over the last month with the arrival of American Pharaoh. And uh want to look into what the routine will be. Uh want to look into how they decide his book of mares, uh, if there's a preconceived, uh, you know, mares that he'll nick best with or that uh, they're going to just take the top uh, graded stakes winners. Uh, obviously, you want, don't want very much inbreeding. Uh, and then basically we just want to ask Scott about Coolmore. It's pretty amazing. Uh, they've got a fantastic website you should check out. And they really are worldwide. So it's very interesting. We'll talk to them about Coolmore, Ireland, America, Australia, uh, the farm at Bally Doyle. Uh, should be a, a very interesting interview. Again, that is Scott Calder. And then calling upon a uh, handicapping guru, though he doesn't insist that he's a favorite, and that would be Tom Lamara, the news editor of The Blood Horse. We're going to go to Churchill Downs, Del Mar, Aqueduct, and Laurel. By the way, great card at Laurel this weekend. Six stakes in total. We're going to go to the $350,000 Frank DeFrancis Memorial Dash. It's always a good race and brought together a classy field. So when you pull down your easy win forms from winning ponies, you might want to take a second look at Laurel this week. Had a good Last week at Laurel, a $1 Super 5 box there using the easy win forms paid $2,019. So our system is working over there. It's working north of the border at Woodbine. Uh, we had a $0.20 cent Super 5 key that paid $3,300. Of course, later we're going to be handicapping at Churchill. We had a $1 Super key that paid over $1,700. And better than that, on November 8th, a $1 super key that paid over 6500 at Churchill. So we'll be breaking it down with Tom Lamara, and you'll be pulling down your easy win forms. Well, drum roll, please. We finally found out American Pharaoh's fee set at $200,000 at Ashford Stud. Of course, Ashford, Coolmore, one and the same. Uh, 
the American division of Coolmore uh, under the banner of Ashford Stud, uh, the three-year-old son, a pioneer of the Nile, who ended his career with such an amazing race in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Again, is going to pull down $200,000 per mare. Uh, they did have some other changes at the farm, horses that have really been uh, hot there. Scat Daddy, uh, right now the second-ranked sire at Juveniles this year, and ninth on the general sire list, he's going to go from 35000 to 100000 And Uncle Mo, who is the leading freshman sire, can you imagine that? They've got the one-two with the uh, youngsters. Uncle Mo's going from 25000 to $75,000. So uh, we may get a chance to talk to Scott Calder about the decisions that go into jumping those fees, but pretty logical to me. If you're at the top of the list, you're going to have them beating a door to your breeding shed. Some uh, not-so-happy news out on the West Coast. Two-time graded stakes winners Gimme the Loot was euthanized this week after he sustained a catastrophic leg injury following surgery. Uh, he did have a fracture in one of his hind legs we had announced last week, and but it was actually after, after the surgery, and uh, we're really sorry, and uh, especially for Mike Pegram, who's been so well uh, to, to the sport. You know, this horse won four stakes in a row in California. They had a damn good horse. Uh, so they still got the sire in the dam, so hopefully they'll be able to make another one. Now, good news here. Shared belief, happy to be back in training. He has shipped from that rehab center in Washington, and he's back to trainer Jerry Hollendorfer's barn at Golden Gate Fields. And on Thursday morning, returned to the track for training. They basically just said it's a leisurely jog. Um, According to Hollendorfer, he said it went perfectly. He's happy. It seems like he's happy to be back, and we're just going to go real slow with him. Again, shared belief of gelding, so there's no reason uh, to move forward in a quick pace. He's going to be around for a while, and hopefully we'll get to see him win a lot of races. And uh, It's good that he's owned in part by uh, national talk radio host Jim Rome. It gives us a little extra publicity here in the uh, world of racing. So uh, as far as his race target, he might go to Santa Anita and start right around Christmas, so we'll find out. Well, some sad news from across the pond, as they say. Champion jockey Pat Ettery died only at the age of 63. Eleven times he was the champion flat jockey. He won 14 British Classics, and one of the most successful riders of all time, won over 4,600 winners. And remember, they don't race as many races in Europe as they do here in the United States. Uh, His uh, resume is just amazing. Uh, He won uh, the Gold Cups, two King George VI and Queen Elizabeth Stakes. He also was a champion jockey in Ireland in 82, 27 years after his father won the title for the second time. Uh, Some of the horses you may know that he rode, uh, Sadler's Wells, Rainbow Conquest, El Grand Senor, and Pebbles, who he won the Breeders' Cup with back in 1985. Only Sir Gordon Richards has ridden more winners than him in Britain. Of course, he is an Irish native from County Kildare. So, uh, Pat Ettery, gone at 63. Now, uh, run happy turned out to be an unhappy story for Maria Burrell, and it looks as though she has officially filed a lawsuit against the owners 
of Run Happy. According to the lawsuit, uh, she's seeking $122,000 in purse money from uh, the McInvale's Gallery Racing for his victories, not only in the Breeders' Cup Sprint, but the uh, Phoenix Stakes, that was a grade three, and the King's Bishop Stakes. Uh, she did very well after acquiring the horse. Uh, it'll be to see what shakes out of this. Obviously, there's two sides to every story, but as you know in this business, for the most part, a trainer gets 10% of the purses. She said it was her understanding that she would be paid according to the industry standard. Again, uh, understanding, remember to get things on paper. Uh, the uh, McInvale's racing manager, Laura Wollers, who I believe is a sister-in-law, is saying that uh, that verbal agreement did not include the trainer taking a share of the purse money, and Wollers is now taking over the training of the horse. Uh, Burrell's lawyer, Richard Getty, said he has reason to believe some of the other trainers who trained for the McInvale did get their 10% from purses and that they will testify at the hearing. Uh, she's also saying that uh, the McInvale's made false, libelous, and defamatory and damaging statements. So uh, this is a soap opera that's going to go on for a while. It'll be very interesting to see uh, what what shakes out of that. All right, who's hot and who's not? If you're handicapping in New York, Jose Ortiz had a great week, won the grade three tempted stakes at Aqueduct and led North America in earnings, came in the money 53% of his mounts. And then Sean Bridgemahon, he had a solid week. He took the grade two Chaluki at Churchill aboard the horse I picked, spelling again, and uh, he came in the money 50% of his winners. Uh, out in California, Santiago Gonzalez had a strong week uh, with wins in the Catherine Crosby Stakes and the Betty Grable Stakes at Del Mar. And Alan Garcia, he got crowned Jockey's Guild of the Week, went up north, won the grade two Autumn Stakes at Woodbine aboard Are You Kidding Me? and the Jam Lovely Stakes aboard Strong incentive. Just want to remind everybody, we've been uh, getting, I, I know I've been getting calls about the book we spoke to Gary West about last week, Ride to Win, and people are like, now, how did I get that again? I kind of missed that. Just go to jockeytalk360.com. Of course, uh, that book, Ride to Win, was also penned in tandem with Bob Fortas. So uh, if you're looking for a great Christmas gift, I've read it. I highly recommend it. Go to jockeytalk360.com. And uh, good news here is that Flavian Pratt is now out of his body cast, and he's going to begin therapy. They say he might be able to come back to riding as early as January. We'll find out. He's a one tough guy, and he's back. Jockey Pat Valenzuela, believe it or not, hasn't ridden for 22 months, was suspended back in 2014. He is named on some horses at... Louisiana, trainer Carl Borgard is giving him the call. All right, part of the show, we do some capping, and we did last week. And uh, with my friend Ed Meyer, the Chaluki, again, uh, I, I liked the uh, spelling again with the speed and got it done. Pretty much a, an easy win, paid $8.60. Second was, ah, chocolate. And third was gold medal dancer and then at the big a in aqueduct gold espony got the job done in the long island handicap finishing second danza cavallo horse i liked in there and in the third spot long shot 
got the chance to dance. All right, that pretty much wraps up national news and last week's racing. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Scott Calder of Coolmore America. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with us this evening, it's Scott Calder a native of New Zealand who is uh, currently with Coolmore America. Uh, he was involved in the Darley Flying Start program, started out uh, in Ireland. I think he's been in North America about three years, and uh, he's lucky enough to be uh, near some of the finest uh, bloodstock in the world every day here down in the Lexington area. Scott Calder, welcome to Winning Ponies. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, Scott, at the tender age of 28, uh, to be associated uh, with such an outstanding farm as Coolmore, uh, you've got to have a, a great background, and obviously you must have had a love of the game. Describe, if you would, your early exposure to horses and uh, how you came through it. Uh, like a lot of people in the horse business, um, I kind of caught the bug from from a family member, my dad is in the in the business back in in New Zealand, and you know has been in the business the whole time I've been alive. So I grew up, um, you know, he works for a, a he did work work for one of the big studs in New Zealand in a sales and marketing capacity. So I kind of grew up going to the races and uh, going to the sales and kind of got a got an interest through it through that and I suppose for a long time thought it was just a, a hobby kind of interest but ended up being a career path so you know, like I said a lot of lot, similar to a lot of people it was uh, through a through a family member yeah most people I talked to they first went to the track with an with an uncle or or their father or they grew up around uh, racing because their father was a, a trainer or a jack so it's a it's a great 
inside way, uh, first to see how it's supposed to be done right, but second of all, to develop a passion, and, and, and some do and, and some don't. Now, uh, tell me, what was your progression if you're in New Zealand um, going through, through school uh, and eventually ending up in Ireland and now uh, in the Lexington area? Uh, yeah, so I, as I said, I kind of grew up around it. I didn't really start working hands-on until I was at university. And like a lot of students, when the summer came around, I needed to earn some money. So uh, the yearling prep for our yearling sales fits in pretty nicely to the university holidays. So I got a job there um, working at a farm called Curramore Stud, which is one of the leading consigners in New Zealand every year. And uh, worked for a few summers there, working for a guy called Gordon Cunningham, who was a you know a really great influence and I was, I was lucky to start out working for him and one thing kind of led to another and uh, I got a, a marketing job another summer working for the New Zealand Racing Board who, who um, oversee the racing in New Zealand and then graduated from university and decided to take a shot um, applying for the, the Dali Flying Start and was lucky enough to be accepted to that so um, you know for, those of you listeners who aren't familiar, it's a, it's a two-year program run by Dali, and it, it evolves um, stints in Ireland, England, America, Australia, and Dubai over a two-year period, and it's a, a combination of practical work and a lot of industry visits and um, academic work as well. So it's, it's a really fantastic program, and I was very fortunate to do that. Um, and then, yeah, I graduated from there a little while ago and got a job with Coolmore out of that program and spent a year and a half working for them in Ireland and have been in America with Coolmore America coming on three years now. Well, I, 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 I'm familiar with the Darley Flying Start program. From our listeners, they should uh, uh, look into it to find out all the different things and all the different sides of the industry that the individuals go through uh, in that in that program. Now, uh, Scott, I know you you have some involvement in your sales and marketing with the website, and I'm going to. Uh, Tell all of our listeners they really should go to the website, uh, if only for the fantastic photography and the great up-to-the-minute uh, stories. Now, what's interesting, when, when you'll get up there, is you'll find out, of course, we're familiar with the uh, American outfit, uh, but they also um, have uh, uh, staff and programs in Ireland and Australia, and, uh, of course, they have the the famous Bailey Doyle Racing Stable that was founded by Vincent O'Brien. Uh, that place has produced uh, nine Epsom Derby winners. And, of course, now I believe working out of there is Aidan O'Brien, and anybody that follows any European racing is uh, familiar with, with, with him. Um, now, one thing that I th- thought was interesting, Scott, was I, when I went through the different um, – studs. I saw the ones in Ireland. I saw the ones in America. I saw the ones in Australia. Very familiar names. But then all of a sudden I got to one of your sites, the National Hunt. Now, I was not... I didn't know that they actually have stallions that are pointed towards jumpers. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, You know, probably a bit different to most other parts of the world, but in in Ireland, England, and France, um, jump racing is a, a much bigger industry there, and um, I, I guess it, you know, Coolmore Stud is run by the Magna family, and they go back into the 1850s. As they've been in the stallion business that long, and um, have a very long history in the national hunt business. So it's still um, something they continue to this day. And um, 
yeah, in addition to our flat stallions in in Ireland, which your listeners might be more um, familiar with, we also have a, a quite a big roster of national hunt stallions, and as I said, that's a very big part of the industry, particularly in Ireland and France. Uh, sorry, Ireland and England. <clears throat> now, what would make a jump stallion? I know here in the States, what I've noticed is horses that don't run too good on the flat, all of a sudden... They try them out as hunter-jumpers, and uh, they, they come from a variety of, of, of bloodlines here in the U.S. Well, what would make a one a jump stallion? Um, I, must, uh, I must confess, it's, I'm, I'm not an expert on national hunt racing, but often, as you say, uh, you know, a lot of the horses maybe didn't make it on the flat and ended up in a, a second career in the jumps, but there are national hunt horses that are uh, a bred particularly for that purpose and it, it's I guess there's more of a, a stamina emphasis than there is um, on speed and you know they obviously have to be quite durable and probably mature later than a lot of the flat horses do a lot of you know top jumpers are you know six seven eight nine ten eleven years old um, when they're in their prime but there are a lot of Exclusive national hunt stallions, but even the likes of like Sadler's Wells, for example, was the, the he sired a horse called Isterbrack, who's one of the greatest um, hurdling horses um, that, that there's ever been. And Montjou, who was another very successful flat stallion, um, has sired some great jumps horses along with Galileo. So there's a bit of crossover, and then you'll get some of the more, I guess, horses retiring off the track that maybe won longer distance races that maybe meant they weren't so commercial as a flat stallion, but they uh, it opens doors for a career as, as a national hunt stallion. Well, again, I, I really tell all of our listeners they really know, need to go to your website and explore it. It's just, it's just fantastic. Well, um, I've got to jump forward here before I, I lose time and, and, and talk about the, uh, the acquisition and American Pharaoh and uh, the impact uh, you feel that uh, he's going to have on the industry here in the U.S. Yeah, obviously it was, it was a huge, um, a huge thing for us to secure the stud rights in him, and um, you know we were very fortunate that the Zayats uh, kind of entrusted his breeding career to us. Um, and you know it, it kind of goes without saying he's the he's you know. Once, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of horse, and he'd, he'd stand out in any stallion roster anywhere in the world and would would have a, you know, he has so much potential to, you know, if he, he passes on a fraction of his ability, he, he could have a, a huge influence on the, on the, the breed in general. So we're, we're very grateful that he's going to be at Ashford, and we're looking forward to, I guess, first of all, attracting the, the best mares we can to him and then looking forward to the foals and down the line the first racehorses when they hit the track. But, you know, you, you can um, be allowed to dream some pretty big, pretty big things when he's involved. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys lay claim to, to Galileo, who's almost been a breed changer uh, in Europe, and now I notice we're seeing more and more of his foals go through the North American sales ring. Um, I've seen, you know, American graded stakes winners brought over to be bred to him. Uh, of course, the other big horse in Europe, Frankel. I mean, could American Pharaoh be the Galileo or the Frankel of the U.S.? Absolutely. And that that's a part of the thinking, and that, that's why he's so desirable. Is, um, he, he just, I mean, he, he's shown so many things that aren't 
ordinary, you know, for the the normal horse. So the expectation is that, you know, you'd hope that he can pass that on. And if he does, um, I mean, it's a long way to go to become a horse like Galileo or Giant's Causeway. But as I said, you know, the, you, you, you can be allowed to dream with a horse like him. And then certainly that would be the hope that he could go on and be a real game changer um, for Ashford and then for the whole, you know, industry as a whole. Now, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, uh, the, his book of mares, and uh, how, how will you make those decisions? Obviously, he can't breed every mare that would like to come to him. How, how do you uh, break that down? I mean, are you looking at horses that uh, mares that have already produced stakes winners? Are you looking at outstanding stakes winners themselves? Or are you looking at some kind of mating nick that it looks like it would go well with the Pioneer of the Nile line? Um, I, I'd say we probably more specifically look at the mares. So as you said, to, to get into his book, they're, they're going to have to have a either a, a great race record themselves or produce some very good horses or, you know, be from a, a really deep, influential family. And in and, and most cases, probably a little bit of, of each of those. So we, we kind of weigh them up and, and, you know, as well, a lot of prominent breeders will be trying to, would you know, would be like to support him, and and you have to take into account the the breeders themselves as well, because um, you know it's like any good trainer or good jockey, the good the good horses often come from the same farms and are bred by the same people, so you you, you take that um, that into account as well. Well, uh, do you know? Do you know? Is there a cutoff limit to the number of mares he'll cover next season? We we haven't put a an exact number on it. We'll probably just we've only just announced the fees last week, so we'll kind of get a feel for it as we go along. And and obviously he'll tell us um, once the breeding season starts, you know what, what what's the kind of capable what workload suits him. So I, I wouldn't want to put a number of it on it, but it's going to be you know definitely upwards of a of a hundred and hundred mares, hundred and twenty plus probably. I'm sure you'll have no problem getting that. Um, I'm just wondering if I can. I know we're, we're winding down the, the, this interview with Scott Calder from Coolmore America. Um, have you had a chance to be around him? I, I was during his campaign, and he was about as cool of a customer as I'd ever been around for a horse that, uh, that was surrounded by, by people. And it just seemed like he, nothing turned to hair. I've got to guess things in the quiet, uh, the beautiful place that he's in right now. Uh, tell, tell me how he's settled in. Uh, he's settled in fantastically well. It's um, it's kind of hard not to admire him, really. You know, for everything that he's been through, and then he he came out to the farm, and we had a nice gathering of, you know, staff members and some of the press. And again, he just takes all the crowd and in, in his stride. The, you know, the cameras clicking, all that stuff. It doesn't bother him. And when it came to, you know, obviously prospective breeders are coming to see him now, and a lot of young horses especially off the track, they're quite fit and energetic and they, they don't want to stand still and they might jump around and rear up and they take a bit of time to settle into the whole routine. But we've been very fortunate with both American Pharaoh and Competitive Edge, our other new horse this year, that they've got fantastic temperaments. So they, they've, they I mean, you'd swear they've been doing it for the last five years. They, they come out, they stand well, they, you know, they don't jump around, they're just, very straightforward horses to have and it, it makes our um, 
our lives a lot easier when they have that kind of temperament. And I guess to it, you know, it goes back to our both very good two-year-olds. So I think that's a really key factor in that early racing is they have to have the mind to, um, to handle the pressure and, and to, you know, to, to go through all those learn, early learning experiences. Well, Scott Calder from Cool Moore America, the Director of Sales and Marketing, I want to thank you for being on Winning Ponies. And I know you're going to be a very busy man over the months ahead, but I do thank you. I know it's sales season for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us on Winning Ponies. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. That was Scott Calder. Going to take a little bit of a break, and we come back. One of my favorite people in racing. You know him. You love him. He doesn't say he's an expert, but he does like the handicap. Tom Lamara from the Blood Horse. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, a frequent guest, Tom Lamara. Uh, an award-winning writer and a man I get to say that he's actually a friend of mine over the years. Tom, I saw you oh so briefly at the Breeders' Cup because everybody was busy doing their job. Uh, give me some of the top takeaways you got from this year's uh, uh, Keeneland Breeders' Cup. Number one, a tip of the cap to Keeneland because they pulled off something I didn't think they could do. Yes, uh, this Breeders' Cup, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Although I... When I heard it announced, I figured, you know what, this will work fine. It did. It's pretty obvious when you looked at the facility and how it was transformed that it cost them a lot of money to do this. But, um, you know, it was handled extremely well, you know, between um, the on-track facilities, um, you know, the tailgate area, the transportation um schedule and and the parking set up and all that kind of stuff so you know i really didn't hear a lot of complaints and when i was walking around you know it it looked like a very crowded day at keeneland at least on the grandstand side and uh but obviously there were a lot more people on the grounds but the way that they handled it was really good and um you know um they were pleased with it and 
Keeneland has already indicated that at some point it does plan to rebid for the Breeders' Cup, which I think is a good thing. The other thing, too, is, um, you know, it's kind of like the stars align. They caught a really good year for racing. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I think that it was one of the better Breeders' Cup racing-wise that I've seen, you know, for many years. And, that, you know, but that's what happens when certain horses show up, when the fields are good. And um, really, it was a very, very good year. I think it was a really, really good event. It, it really was. I mean, uh, at, at every level. Um, I'm trying to think. I, on Friday, I really thought that the that the highlight there was was Liam's map because that horse had overcome adversity, even though he was the heavy favorite. But he had to change his whole running style to get out of that pocket and win that race. So what a way to end your career. Yes, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny because um, I ran into one of the owners I don't know, like a half hour after the race and said, you know what? You know, it's really a shame he's retiring. That might have been the, <laughs> his best race ever. You know, and yes, he is a four-year-old. You know, he's not a three-year-old. He's a four-year-old and everything. But I was really impressed with that because um, when I was watching that race, you know, like, you know, from the quarter to the half, I'm like, oh, God, this horse is completely out of his element. And then, you know, um, he found room. And he came outside, and he blew by who he needed to blow by. And I was really, really impressed with that effort on Friday. I thought, you know, this is a really, really good horse. Yeah, I thought it was neat. And it is a shame we won't get to see him race more. But obviously, you know, his connections recognized that uh, he was just not an early bloomer. And uh, they they waited to bring him around till he was three. And, uh, you know, he danced at a lot of different places. But, uh, you know, you think about it, eight starts, six Victories in two seconds, uh, very uh, well handled by Mr. Todd Pletcher. Okay, uh, before we get to any handicap, I want to kind of get your read on the unhappy, run-happy story. Well, you know what? It's really not one of my favorite stories to either read. Um, fortunately, some other people at the Blood Horse have been writing about it. Um, you know, um when the horse won, and, and once again, he was another horse that was kind of taken out of his game in the Breeders' Cup sprint. You know, he's a, he's a speed horse, and um, he won. But um, what I really like about Run Happy is that I can remember watching his first start at Turfway in late December last year. <laughs> you and, do. Um, you know, it's on YouTube now, but, but whoever hasn't watched it, watch it. Um, you know, the horse didn't break well, and then, you know, and he was kind of well off the pace the first quarter, and, and for some reason, I guess, the rail was, like, wide open. All of a sudden, this horse comes up the rail, and, and he, like, gets the lead through an opening quarter of 22. He goes 45. He blew the turn. He still won by – and and uh, I'm just really fond of the horse because, as you know, I'm very fond of um, horses who run well in the Cincinnati area and yep. then they go on to win big races um as far as the story itself i, I really don't yeah i, I would re- i really don't know what's going on but um I, I can't take anything away from that horse that horse is really good and i think you've shown it so it it, it will it will be interesting well um <clears throat> we're talking with tom lamar from the blood horse and i'd be remiss not to get your feelings and find out exactly where you were 
when American Pharaoh won the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, <laughs> were you watching it? I know you, I saw you in the press center. I don't know if you went out to watch it live. Tell me where you were and your feelings. I was in the Keeneland Sale Pavilion watching it on television because I needed to be in front of my computer. So, um, you know, um, look, um, I kind of knew at the half-mile pole that the race was over. <clears throat> and then... When you're watching really quality horses like Frosted and Tonalist, um, you know, not gaining any ground, they're under-urging on the turn. They couldn't even get to F and X, and I figured, well, this is over. And, um, you know, um, I, look, the horse was, you know, he was in a league of his own for most of the year. And even the race he lost in the Travers, I think that he ran lights out. It was just one of those, you know, it was just one of those freaky things, you know. Really good horses lose, and there's no embarrassment. And it certainly didn't tarnish his reputation. He came back. He beat who, whoever showed up in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and that's all that the horse can do is win against whoever shows up in the race. And, um, you know, um, yeah, I'm sorry to see him go because he, uh, I think he had a pretty good impact um, yes. as far as perception of the business. Um, not so sure that it's helped handle, which is which is really what I would hope for, but... You know, the horse uh, the horse was just, uh, I don't know, he was just a pleasure to watch. I really don't know what else to say. Uh, we're talking with Tom Lamara, the news editor of The Blood Horse, and he's also one of the stars of that handicapping show. And uh, I already got a peek <laughs> at who Tom likes. I know you're not an expert because you stated that on uh, I am this not. week's show. I am not an expert. Show, but the Mrs. Revere Stakes... Uh, we'll take a quick peek. Uh, you you uh, appeared with uh, uh, Claire Novak and Ella Starr, and uh, it's going to be the 10th race at Churchill. Big field. A lot of horses want to go in for that 200000 It's a grade two. And I thought I was going to be the wise. I, I handicapped the race before I watched you guys because I don't like doing that, okay, And because uh, it, it tends to make me you know, want to go the other way. So I figured, hey, I'm going to come up with a nice six-to-one shot here and shock Tom on the show. And it turns out that <laughs> the onus is on me because you, Claire, and Ellis all like this, the horse that I like, and that's uh, the Suge McGahee-trained onus. I mean, certainly <clears throat> it's a Suge McGahee horse that just seems to all of a sudden have come into his own, her own, rather, uh, a daughter of blame. And uh, I think it's kind of neat that... Uh, Forrest Boyce hasn't made a mistake on this horse, and Suge decides to bring him to Churchill. Yeah, um, she was a uh, she was one of the few supplements in the race. She was supplemented for six thousand dollars, and um, yes, the jockey is named to ride. Forrest is named on one horse at Laurel on Saturday in the De Francis, uh, a horse that she won on last time out to beat Ben's Cat, but. Usually at Laurel, Forrest is on like most of the cards, so I'm guessing that she will show up at Churchill Downs to ride on us. And um, really the only thing that I can say about the filly is just like watch her last race in the Commonwealth Oaks at Laurel. And, um, you know, she accelerated when she had to. Jockey really didn't ask her. Um, you know, I, I, I was really excited about that race, plus I was excited about 5-2 to two because she wasn't the favorite in that race. Um, you know, I, you're right. Um, I don't think she'll be six to one. I think she'll be less than that. You know, in a 14 horse field, a lot can go wrong. We all know that, but, um, yes, I do really like her, um, strictly on her visual 
performances in her last three races. And, um, you know, I'm sticking with her. We'll see what happens. Great. Uh, from what I understand, the weather in the Midwest is going to be a little cool and breezy, but uh, the race should go on the turf. And obviously, uh, uh, this horse is three for four on the turf. Shug McGahee trained. A- excellent, excellent breeding. And as you guys pointed out on your show, um, there's a lot of opportunity for to get horses underneath. You know, I know that you liked uh, the outside horse, Celestine, who probably has enough speed mm-hmm. to, to get to where uh, she wants to go, daughter of Scat Daddy, who's out of hell right now, and then uh, return to Grace. Uh, daughter of English Channel, they love the grass. Uh, those were two of the horses you pointed out at uh, ten to one and six to one that might be of a value to maybe give you a try or be part of a super. Yes, uh, really. You know what? Um, like you said, you can really spread out um, here, assuming that you you know like really like a horse on top. I think otherwise it gets very very complicated. I do like a horse on top. So, you know, um, I looked at the race and, you know, there are a couple of, he- there are a couple in here that I might like leave out, but honestly, this is a really tough field. It's pretty competitive and 14 horses, you know, if you step in it, you have a good chance to hit a really, you know, really nice ticket here. So it's a good, it's a really, really good race. Really good. It really is. I, I use colored markers when I handicap, and this looks like a five-year-old's coloring <laughs> book, to be honest with you. So, anyhow, let's uh, got a couple minutes till break, and so we'll go to a race that I think's uh, an easy one out on the West Coast, the Del Mar Seven Furlongs. It's the Bob Hope, a Grade Three, carrying a hundred thousand dollars. It looks like Baffert's got a strong hand in this field. I'm going to say it's toes on ice. Martin Garcia is going to get the call. Um, Two-time stakes winner. Uh, And this horse, just when you look at its running style, it just shook free, you know, pulled off in the stretch. Um, I find it interesting that he went back to Martin Garcia after Victor Espinosa won the last time. Um, Seems like the horse you got a key on in the Bob Hope. I don't know how you read it. Yeah, yes. That I agree with, and, um, you know, Martin Garcia is riding him. He rode him in his first three starts. Victor Espinosa rode him last time. Uh, Baffert does have another horse in here, Dr. Durer, uh, who was by looking at Lucky. And uh, Martin rode him last time. Um, he broke his maiden in um, oh, October 10th at Santa Anita. Uh, he came from off the pace. And uh, Mike Smith's riding him today. Um you know, my <laughs> whenever a trainer has more than one horse in a race, I look at the longer price. And, I, you know, I'm not sure that either of these horses will be, like, big prices, but I think Dr. Durer may be the longer price. And, uh, you know, he did draw the rail at seven furlongs. I'm never crazy about that. But, um, you know, I think he's got a lot of upside, so I would kind of lead toward Dr. Durer. All right. Well, if I'm going to uh, pick a horse to to go in uh, with uh, toes on ice, I'm going to go to the outside. I'm already there because there's a lot of question marks around this horse, and you might get a price. Uh, the uh, trainer, Jerry Hollendorfer, in the Hall of Fame, he's batting 26% with two-year-olds. And when he goes from turf to dirt, which is part of the mystery, this horse has been running longer than seven furlongs. Um, he uh, bats 24%. Um, I thought I put in a big race last time. It was uh, this gelding's first start with blinkers. 
Could make a difference, 8-1. to one. I'm going to put toes on ice with uh, Dr. Door, and I'm already there. So with that said, I'm going to shut my pie hole. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with races at Laurel Park and Aqueduct. We're talking with Tom Lamaro from the Blood Horse. You're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, Tom Lamara from the Blood Horse. He's an award-winning turf rider and one of the greatest turf riders in the history of the game was Red Smith. And at Aqueduct, at a mile and three-eighths, they'll be contesting the Red Smith handicap, a grade three, quarter million on the line. Looks like an interesting group. I've got a couple long shots kind of picked out here. Um, But I've also got a horse I'm keying on, A, because of his connections, and B, because of his consistency. I'm not going to tip my hat yet, because I want to hear who Tom Lamara likes in the Red Smith. It'll be the seventh at Aqueduct on Saturday. Charming Kitten. (laughs) Charming Kitten. Very interesting. Ten to one shot. That's coming out of the same race, the Sycamore at Keeneland as uh, Holiday Star, who won that race, and St. Albans Boy, who uh, was driving between, uh, or it was in the seventh path and came up third in that race. He was come back to win a race since the Laurel Turf Cup. Um, give me your reason for uh, taking Charming Kitten against uh, horses that had beaten it or run very close to it. Well, really, John, um this race is strictly a gut feeling race for me. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you look at a race, you know, and you're saying, oh, wow, this horse looks really good. And, and you know, I can see this horse hitting the board. This is a really good field, I think. Um, you know, um, he drew the 10 hole. Um, it is a mile and three eighths, you know, so he'll have plenty of time to kind of find his rhythm. And um, I, I, I just like this horse's running style, you know, and, you know, um, he ran, you know, he's run well against some really, really good horses in his career. He's five years old now. 
And um, I thought his Keeneland effort was good. He was the favorite. He got beat. But, um, you know, I'm looking at the odds. Well, excuse me, the morning line odds, which we know may not be the case when the race goes off. But, you know, as far as value goes, I think 10 to 1 is really good on Charming Kid. Um, I, I can't argue with you. Um, I can't help but have my eye drawn to, to Mr. Speaker. Uh, I remember back when he won the Lexington Stakes on poly track at Keeneland, that's how far back I go with this horse, uh, that I thought he, he might be the now horse. Well, um, it didn't make it to, to the Kentucky Derby, but did make it to the Belmont Derby. As it turns out, Suge has found out that this is one heck of a turf runner, uh, won the Belmont Derby that was determined to be a grade one by a neck, and uh, since then has made 14 lifetime starts on the turf, has five wins, a second, two-thirds for earnings of $1,070,000, a son of pulpit. And this is just your classic Phipps bread, sugar and no rush, you know, don't worry about it. He'll probably <laughs> be training this horse next year. Uh, these horses don't get pushed off to the, to the shed. But it seems to have the similar running style of almost all these horses, Tom. And it looks like they all like to rate a little bit. And that moves my eye over a tad to five to one war dancer out of the Mott Barn, who, who seems to have a little bit of early foot. I mean, have you noticed that from looking at this race that everybody kind of likes to be a tad of a stalker? Yes, and you know, you know that could be a key here because you know um, we've seen this happen before. In like, you know, I wouldn't call this a marathon, but it's kind of close, I guess, by by the standards of today. You know, a mile and three eighths. But yeah, yeah, you know, you really need to be. You really need to be careful of horses who just kind of jump out there and lope along. Um, War Dancer absolutely fits the bill. You know, uh, Kaigen, um, you know, he can come from off the pace, but he's also run really well close up to the pace. So he's a horse that I think, of course, he's three to one in the morning line. But, you know, yeah, um, you know, I could see this turning into a, like, um, chase me procession where a horse kind of lopes along and, and, you know, these are good, these are horses of quality. So it wouldn't surprise me if somebody jumped out there and led wire to wire. Um, I'm thinking that that won't be the case, but I see your point. Well, if you do go to the races and you get charming, get a 10 to one, answer <laughs> on you next time I see you, Tom. Right. Now, right. As, as you stated on your, uh, webcast today um you really want to get your form out and take a good look at laurel park on saturday i do believe that the frank to francis memorial dash is the anchor race of perhaps six one hundred thousand dollar plus stakes races on saturday yeah and and really um laurel's had some really really good racing this year and this is another example. And what's nice about Laurel, too, is the um, the racing surfaces are really good. They're fair. And, um, you know, and the races are always kind of interesting. The turf races draw large fields. Horses will ship in from here and there. And, uh, you know, it has a pretty good jockey colony. And um, I just really, really like watching and betting Laurel. And the DeFrancis... You know, um, it, it's not a great race this year because, you know, there, I mean, there's no real standout, I guess. I shouldn't say that's not a great race, but there's no real standout. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that Palace will be 
a pretty solid favorite, stall walking dude who who um, ran in the British Cup sprint is entered too, so he should get some action. But you know, uh, yes, I mean if you're gonna you know like really play a card, um, you might want to handicap Laurel because the other stakes are also very good too. It, absolutely, and it's great for people that want to, you know, bet your, your your pick threes, pick fours, races like that. Now, I've got a question that really shouldn't be for Tom Lamar. It should be for Linda Rice. Uh, a horse comes off a winning effort, and you make an equipment change that this horse hasn't had for two years. She's putting blinkers on Palace. What's up with that? You know what? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, you know, um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's only raced four times this year. You know, he's kind of had his ups and downs and, um, he is coming out of a New York bread race, but, uh, I don't, uh, that really doesn't bother me. Um, you know, I know what the horse can do. I've seen him run big races in grade one stakes, you know, and in the uh, Hudson handicap, um, you know, he beat Captain Sirius, who, who is also a New York bred, but has also run really well in stakes and open company, open company in New York. The blinker thing, I don't know. I didn't talk to her. It's very interesting. Um, you know, um, she's a very good trainer. I'm sure she has a reason for it. Um, but I'll be curious to see what happens. You know, Palace doesn't have a whole lot of early speed. Um, so, and there are, you know, there aren't, there isn't a whole lot of speed in this race, which is interesting because usually this race is loaded with it. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where Cornelia Velasquez puts the horse and stuff like that. Um, there's a horse in here that, you know, he's only six to one on the morning line. I thought he'd be higher as gentleman's bet who I know you've seen race in Kentucky. And, um, you know, he uh, ran in the Phoenix against Run Happy last time, but he broke badly, rushed up, hung in there for a while, dropped back a little bit in the stretch, and here's another horse, you know, who was off for quite a while before he came back earlier this year. And, I, I you know, Ron Moquette ships him in from Churchill. I, I have a feeling that if Gentleman's Bet runs his best race, which is on or near the lead, I think he's got a good shot to upset this race. Well, they call it a dash for a reason. It's six furlongs. It's the Frank <laughs> to Francis Memorial Dash, just part of a great program that's going to happen at Laurel Park. Tom Lamara, as always, great to hear your voice. It's even better to see you in person, which I'm sure I will Turf in the Park, months man. ahead. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being with us on Winning Ponies. All right. Thanks, John. All right. Okay. That was Tom Lamara, news editor of the Blood Horse. want to also give a tip of the cat to Scott Calder from Coolmore America, uh, letting us know what's happening with American Pharaoh and the entire Coolmore Association. Again, uh, you should go to their site. As a matter of fact, you can go to the Blood Horse, and you can link to them right from there. So uh, thanks to Scott and Tom. I'm John Engelhart. Once again, overlooking the manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky. want to remind you, pull down those easy wind forms and bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.